Hey, would you like us to read a story of your choosing? Well, you're in luck. Head on over to superhumanregistrationpodcast.com and fill out the web form at the Contact Us link. If you submit a story there that is available to read on Marvel Unlimited, we will consider it for a future episode of the show. The world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. This tastes like caramel. Like, not good caramel. <laughs> that means the cotton is burnt. <laughs> it's supposed to taste like mango. <laughs> Today on Flavors of, of Vape... <laughs> Aldo reviews Caramel Candy Crunch. They call it crunch because of what it does to your lungs. Oh man, there was uh, there was one I, I had a while back that was supposed to taste like churros. It did not. <laughs> what did it taste like? Uh, just sugar. Well, okay. Like, have you ever just inhaled sugar? <laughs> like, into my lungs? Yeah. No. You ever, you ever like, uh, you ever just put some, sh- some butter on a pan and stick like a half a pound of sugar on that and then just smelled it? That, but into mm. your lungs. wow that's a uh, stellar endorsement of they warned craze they warned me about you and they warned me about you and dare oh man i ain't Uh, gonna give you i ain't gonna give you a free hit that stuff costs money (laughs) (laughs) all right well why don't we go ahead and get started so hello everybody welcome to the superhuman registration podcast we are here to talk about some marvel comics and today we've got a big one. John's been asking us to do this pretty much from the minute we started the podcast. <laughs> so he's very, very excited. We're here to talk about Messiah Complex today. Uh, John, Aldo, how you guys doing? I'm okay. Uh, I'm excited to talk about <laughs> X-Men. You know, I want to say I'm, I'm, I'm pleased with... I'm, I'm pretty... I'm happy to be here. Okay, first of all. But second of all, uh, I was actually really happy with this book. Before we get into it, I just want to say, after the disappointment that was the Phoenix Saga, I did not have very high hopes for this at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get into the discussion. This one's definitely more accessible to a contemporary comics audience than the Phoenix Saga was. And better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> well, where do we want to start? Well, I assumed, John, because this is one of your favorite stories, that you wanted to do the recap. Maybe I shouldn't have assumed that, but I, I, mean, I could do the recap. That was a good. That was a good. That was a good book. <laughs> well, I do have like four pages of notes here, and I didn't even get. Th- this was just me trying to put, piece together my thoughts to summarize the plot, and it's four pages, <laughs> and I was like. No, we're not going to be able to do all that. So y'all need to work on your summarizing game. Hey, my yeah. sum game is good game. <laughs> there's just so many intertwining things that it's like there's an A plot, a B plot, a C plot, and you got to keep track of who's where and doing what, and then and then all of a sudden Cable shows up, and then the game changes, and so it's a it's a complicated story. But it starts off with the X Men, the A team, the the team that we're familiar with, uh, uh, like your go to X Men of uh, Cyclops, Emma. Um, 
uh, Emma Frost, Nightcrawler, Angel, Wolverine, um, responding to... Uh, there was a, a spike on Cerebra. Professor X was searching for mutants after... Hold on. Back up. Wait a minute. <laughs> okay, John. John, here. How about how about I guide you through this? Let's hold your hand. Okay. 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 Let's start off, okay. At, start off at M-Day. Okay. So so what, so oh what happened before this? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> House of M. We've already read House of M. Okay. So the mutants and are gone. Yeah, mutants are gone. No more mutants, she said. And so it's down to 198 and change. And the mutants are an endangered species and very concerned about their dwindling numbers because it's an unsustainable population where they're at right now. And then there's a huge spike as Professor X is looking for more mutants, enough to wreck Cerebra and knock out him and all the other uh, psychics at the mansion. And at this point, uh, Cyclops is running the show and, and uh, he's upset with Professor Xavier. Xavier's kind of taking a back seat. So off they go to um, Alaska and find out that a whole town has been wiped out and they discover that it's been wiped out because um, the purifiers, an anti-mutant religious group, have come to kill everyone. And they targeted children because somehow they knew that there was a mutant child. The X-Men don't really know what happened. They just know that the, a group called the Marauders were there who are Sinister's strike team, Mr. Sinister, who, Stephen, you mentioned he's he was in Secret War, but anything else we've read? I don't think he's been in anything else we've read, honestly. Hmm. Well, Mr. Sinister is not a mutant himself, but he is uh, all about creating the perfect mutant and enhancing himself, so he's a very formidable foe. And so there was a fight between the Marauders and the Purifiers, and best that can sum up, there was an uh, infant taken and the X-Men peace out of there. And that's the one shot. Um, it ends with a big, huge monster, Predator X, on the hunt for a mutant. And is also attracted to this signature, this mutant signature. The first, what they surmise, mutant birth since M-Day. And so this has come after a couple other uh, X-Men events. But this is kind of like kicking off what's going to follow uh, Messiah Complex, Messiah War, and then uh, Second Coming. So my my favorite X Men stories back to back to back. I, well, Messiah War not so much, but like Second Coming might be better than Messiah Complex. So um, they the X Men are trying to discover what is going on. So what they do is call James Madrix, Multiple Man, who's head of X Factor, and they are a detective agency at the moment. There have been different teams, different iterations, different. Um, goals of X Factor. At the moment, it's a it's a mutant detective agency, and so he goes to see Forge to be sent into the future because Forge has discovered that before M Day there were lots of different timelines, and now he only sees two with his machines that he can see the future in. James Magic shows up. Richter, who was a mutant, who was depowered, he had um, like seismic powers. He could make the earth shake, that kind of thing. They ask him to go under, undercover with the purifiers because he's no longer a mutant. That wouldn't tip them off. He does, and he finds out that they are loaded for they are loaded for bear. Is that what you say? I forget who says that. Um, they, they are, are loaded for bears. Yes, <laughs> they have tons of weapons. Even though William Stryker at this moment is dead. They are all about killing mutants, and they know something. They know that there is a, a mutant that was born that they want to eliminate, and they um, are prepared to do it. And they have chapters all over, and they have a ton of weaponry, 
um, ready for anything. Wolverine um, and um, Nightcrawler and Angel are trying to find the Acolytes, who have some connection to the Marauders. The Acolytes are mutants that kind of, you know, Magneto was right. They're their own team. Um, so they're trying to track them down. They do track them down and find out that... Um, where is the note about who they <laughs> Sound <talk to? laughs> of notes ruffling. <laughs> Sorry, I was like Amelia Vote Voigt. Uh, Vought. I mean, is that Vought. that's real? Is that really important? I think important? it's pronounced Voigt, isn't it? Yeah. Is that is that important though? No. Uh, Wolverine. <laughs> they, no. Yeah. There's anyway. Wolverine is tracking people down. They eventually find out that there's a base in Antarctica where the Marauders are with Sinister. They go in. And they fight, and while they are there, Emma Frost is, is like, teleconferencing in, you know, she's Skyping in with the team, <laughs> in, order to, <laughs> in order to keep Sinister at bay and uh, give them an edge, because it's, like, 13 Marauders, or 16 of them, and just five X-Men, six if you count Emma. And they're, like, taking them out. And, um, let's see... Do we need to talk about Layla Miller? We'll she jumps talk in about the... Layla Miller, don't worry. <laughs> I have opinions about her. Multiple Man sends two duplicates, one to each timeline in the future. And one that we follow, Layla Miller jumps in, and they go to Bishop's future. Bishop, as we know, comes back uh, to the past from a future where mutants are branded, mutants are hunted, and it's like a Days of Future Past type future where everything sucks. While this is going on, the new X-Men team, which is Surge, Armor, Dust, Prodigy, uh, Pixie is with them, but she's not. I think she's a, not part of the team technically. Um, Josh, I forget his last name, Hellion, um, Anol, Mercury, and X-23, they all want revenge on the Purifiers because the Purifiers, previous to this, killed all of their friends. There were busloads of kids leaving the X-Mansion because they had been depowered, and the Purifiers showed up and killed them. And tried to attack other mutants, and so they want revenge. Um, they have confronted Cyclops, who says, you're not ready for this fight, little children. And they say, screw you, we're going anyway. And they do, and they find out that the Lady Deathstrike is with the Purifiers, with her own strike force, and that's bad, and that's that's rough. And um, Pixie teleports them back, and they almost die in the process because she like didn't do it right. And so they're scattered to the wind. At the same time as that happens, that takes Emma out of it. There's an attack at the mansion um, by the Sentinels because they are taken over by some kind of virus. The Sentinels at this point are guarding the X-Men, kind of like a reservation-type deal. Uh, they're piloted by humans, but the humans are taken over by this uh, techno-virus. And um, during the fight with... Um, the X-Men escape the fight... After Emma leaves, Sinister gets an edge and starts taking him out. The uh, X-Men realize that it was Cable that took the baby from Alaska and is in the wind. They don't know where Cable is. Cable had been missing um, at this point. They didn't know where he was. He had been very powerful. There was a previous event to this where he took on the X-Men and the Avengers and won, I believe. Lady Deathstrike catches up to Cable. Cable is, sorry, I have this page um, uh, signed by Umberto Ramos where it's a minute before dawn, kid. This is where Lady Deathstrike, the uh, new X-Men 45, the first page, it's a, it's a great shot of Cable and little baby Hope. Deathstrike takes him out. Cable um, is um, manages to get the Blackbird and escape while the X-Men are fighting um, the um, Purifiers with Lady Deathstrike's team. 
And so everyone, like the Sentinels are wrecked, the X-Mansion's wrecked, everyone's hurt, everything's rough. Um, Cable gets away, and nobody knows what he's doing. Um, and we don't know as the audience either. In the future, Layla Miller and uh, James Madrix have been branded as mutants. They've been put in a camp. And How, how uh, have they been branded? Uh, genetically, let's see. I mean, I mean, what does the brand look like? Oh, I'm sorry. It's an M over their eye. Wow. Is that foreshadowing? Like unto... whoop, 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 whoop. Oh, what do we find here? Oh. Ah, uh, the, uh, sorry, the Stepford Cuckoos are looking for Cable. They find him. He's looking for Forge, and he shows up and gets knocked out because Bishop is already there. What? Gasp. They, um, Layla Miller, at this point in the pa- in the future, um, Layla Miller, I believe, and uh, Madrix are meeting little kid Bishop. Um, so the X-Men show up. No, sorry, the Marauders show up. Bishop is there. They stop Bishop. Um, take the child. Cable escapes, I believe. Sorry, I'm still trying to catch up. And the X-Men show up and say, Bishop, what happened? And he's like, oh, oh yeah. You know, he's able to not show that he tried to kill this child because this, as he sees this child as the reason why his whole future was messed up. His whole life was completely messed up. And so he says, like, oh, they were all gone, even Cable, though I doubt they took him with them. So Cable is gone. Cable manages to contact Professor X and team up with him. And so they come to um, Muir Island um, at the same time as... um, let me see. In the future, Madrix, um, Layla Miller. Jeez, um, guys, I feel like I'm rambling just trying to summarize the plot of the story. <laughs> There's a whole lot that goes on. The two duplicates, Forge sent them to the future knowing that the duplicates would have to kill themselves and be reassimilated into prime James Madrix. He would know what they found out. Layla Miller figured this out. They were sent with that knowledge, and um, she kills him. Um, in this camp, and then James Madrix wakes up going, um, The X-Men find out that everything is happening on Muir Island, and that's where things come to a head. So Professor X is helping Cable, kind of heals him up. The X-Men go uh, are, go there. Surge's team wants to help, so they, they come and help out too. Um... And all of this, we find out that Sinister had his plans, but Psylocke is... Or Psylocke, I'm sorry. I always mix up. I always think that Mystique and Psylocke... I don't know. Psylocke comes to my mind first. Mystique has been impersonating Professor, uh, impersonating Sinister. I don't know if he's supposed to be dead or just knocked out. Oh, they I think that, she kills actually. him. Yeah, there it is. Sorry, I was on the wrong page. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, so she knocks him out. And Gambit has been part. Sorry. Oh, by the way, Gambit's been here this whole time. He's been with the Purif- or with the Marauders. And you're like, Gambit, dang it, man, what's the matter with you? But he's been working with Sinister as of late. And so Mystique, we go back. Mystique is the adopted mother of Rogue. Rogue had absorbed billions of consciousness, consciousness, consciousnesses, Conchai. Uh, in a. Pre- Conchai, a lot of people <laughs> up in her head. A lot of people That's up in her head. Conch shells. She's in a. <laughs> so Rogue has all these conkies in her head. Um, she's <laughs> she's in a coma, and as her mother, uh, Mystique is really concerned, and so she thinks that this first mutant born since M Day can have the power to bring her back. So she touches her head, nothing happens, and Gambit is like, "What the heck? We didn't know. We're not killing a baby. What the heck is wrong with you?" And is you now freaking out. Um, 
Uh, during this part, during this part, uh, this is when Predator X shows up and decides to try to uh, eat. Oh, that's at the at the mansion. They're still at the mansion. <laughs> Who who's still at the mansion? Sorry, uh, the um, uh, Mercury, the uh, new X Men team. Okay, the young kids. The young kids. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, they are not at Muir Island yet. Jumped ahead a little bit. That's fine. Um, they want Rogue to wake up. Xavier comes, convinces Gambit to let him take the baby. He gives the baby to. to um, he gives the baby to uh, Cable. Um, Predator X is about to take out the uh, um, new X-Men team, but then they are Pixie teleports them away uh, with Predator X as well to Muir Island where everyone else is. And then Predator X is like, I'm going to eat everybody and starts chopping on bad guys. Nom, nom, nom. I love it. That's specifically because they're like, oh, Wolverine can kill one of these. Where's Wolverine? He's on your island. Let's, Let's go. Take him to your <laughs> island, so Wolverine can kill him. And so the previously they're like these dang kids again, and they um, are like, nope, we got backup now. Let's go. And so there's a big fight, big huge fight happening. But now there's this Predator X trying to get um, trying to get Hope. Some Hope. Hope is the baby. I'm just gonna. I mean, surprise. It's it, Hope. Hope is her name. They don't name her in this though, do they? They don't. No. No, but there's Professor a couple, X says there's, there's a couple times when they say Hope. hope. They were, yeah. And they talk bolded. <laughs> yeah. And so um, Predator X, uh, B- Bishop is, is confronting them, runs out of bullets, and Predator X um, bites him, um, and he's all bloody, and that's the last we see of him for a moment. Um, big fight is happening, and it comes to a confrontation between Cyclops and uh, Cable. Rogue wakes up. Uh, punches uh, Mystique because she's not happy about what she did and heads out. Um, the fighting dies down to where the X-Men and the good guys are victorious and we get a flashback of what happened when Cable was born because Cable was also taken away to the future to escape this fate. Um, Predator X is killed by X-23 and Wolverine. <laughs> Jeez, there's a lot of stuff that happens here. Also, there's a disturbing image on the same flash pa- uh, flashback page of when, it, when Cable was a baby and Cyclops is dealing with that. They have baby Hope here holding her little, like, she has like a little um, locket that is around uh, Cyclops's neck of him and Jean Grey. She looks like an adult. That was poor baby drawing there, Chris Piccolo. I love all of your other work. I'm pretty sure this is Chris Piccolo in this one. Um... But they they decide, yeah, Cable can Cable can have the baby, and right at the last moment, um, Bishop, as uh, Cable takes off, fires and kills Professor Xavier, and then Cyclops either kills Bishop or just blasts him. Well, I mean, he's not dead, but he's gone, and then that's how it ends. There are no more. I mean, he's, I mean, as far as we know, as an audience, he's dead, John. Yeah, yeah. He's oh yeah, he dies. Dead, John. Yeah, he's dead. John, he's dead. Who? So there it is. That was Messiah Complex, and jeez, I'm I'm I wish that I could have like done a better job summarizing that, um, being more straightforward. But like, there's a lot of crap going on, and it draws on a lot of the X Men history and brings in characters who we haven't necessarily seen in a while, and sets up a lot of what's happening now, even um, currently, and what was to follow immediately after this came out, uh, two thousand seven eight. It was like October to January. Um, I, I just love this. I just love this. I love the X-Men. It's 
like gun to my head, my favorite Marvel comics are X-Men. Um, I, you know, was intrigued as a kid by their powers and the fact that they were born with them. The 92 cartoon obviously had a big, big role in all of that. Just, um, it was cool at the time and now I'm afraid to go back and watch it. But, um, this shows them, I think at their best where they're, you know, the odds are against them and they got to like work as a team and, and, um, you know, they, I mean, are the odds really against them though? Well, no, you know the good guys this are going to win. Because well, this but... is the most well-equipped team of X-Men I've ever seen. They, right, but they, if they die, there's no more mutants. Like, they're, they, it's down to, you know... Yeah, but they have, like, yeah. four teams of X-Men at the ready. That's true. But the, but the new X-Men are not old enough yet. Uh, yeah. Which is not the first time that's happened in X-Men continuity, to be fair. Uh, like, that's the whole story of the new mutants, basically. That they were too young to really be involved in everything that they got involved in, but they did it anyway... And then they became X-Force. Um, yeah, like, I always found the whole, like, after the uh, M-Day, no more mutants. Now there are only 198 mutants. Which 198 are they? Oh, it's all of the characters that we already care about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they don't really depower anybody too noteworthy. Like, the most they do, I think, is uh, Iceman. But Iceman is arguably the least interesting of the original X-Men. And it also turns out he wasn't actually depowered. He just, like psychologically blocked his powers because he felt bad. He had, like, M-Day survivor's guilt. Was Danny Moonstar depowered, too? Well, okay, yeah. Somebody in that, somebody in the New Mutants group was, I want to say, but they stuck around. I guess that's that's kind of unfair of me. I'm not a big enough fan of, like, the New Mutants to really know uh, or care. Richter's (laughs) been around in the X-Men for years, but I don't really care because he wasn't in the cartoon. You yeah, know. it's like <laughs> it's like if you weren't in the '92 cartoon, you got to sell me on you. Uh, being, you know, yeah, being there, but that is kind of who we see here. I want to learn more about Mister Sinister because I've only have like a few comics with him, and like his powers seem kind of like just whatever they need to be for the plot, but very powerful. Exodus is in this, and Exodus is very very powerful, but just kind of treated as like one more person to fight here. Um, and then, like, a big team of, of uh, you know, the Marauders have, like, a bunch of bad guys um, that have, like, cool power sets. Uh, apparently, Vertigo, she's from the, the Savage Land, and she's not really a mutant. She's, like, a, a human mutate. I, I don't even, like, uh, there's a, there's some kind of distinction, apparently, in my looking into this. But, um, yeah, man, I really like the character of Cable. And I my, my thing now at Comic-Con is, like, I get a commission of Cable and Hope. Um, from if I get a commission from an artist, if there's a particular artist that I like, that's what I get. And uh, I mean, could it be the fact that my oldest child is 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 my daughter? Uh, I mean, maybe. <clears throat> but I just, for whatever reason, like when I was getting back into comics a few years ago, this is a story that I gravitated towards and really enjoyed. And then the it got like even cooler with uh, the follow-ups to this. But what did you guys think of it? I don't really want to throw any shade, but this is the first <laughs> this is the first good X-Men book I've read in my whole life. <laughs> in your whole life. Hey, wait, hold on. In your whole life? Yeah. And I've oh geez. I, I and listen, and I'm one of the guys that likes Avengers vs. X-Men, and even I I recognize how bad it is. Uh, and that's that's a follow up. That's a follow up of this. Sure. And there, uh, there's good stuff to it. But like, I get it. I get it. And I do not like John Romita's art. Like, I do not like it. Everyone has a squished face. I don't like it. 
I know, I know that he's the man. I just, it's not for me. Yeah, but at least it's consistent instead of cycling through like six different artists. That is my one. It's, that is my complaint. But it's Umberto Ramos and and, and Chris Bacallo yeah, get, for get thrown a quarter in the mix of here. The book. Yeah, <laughs> that's and and it's not. But it's not that the art is bad in any of these books. I just wish if we were getting one story, we were getting one artist. That's true. But it is like, you know, um, there was a one shot, then it's Uncanny X-Men, X-Factor, and New X-Men, and X-Men. Yeah. So Since it's running through four different titles, the fact that there are multiple creative teams doesn't bother me as much. It does What mean. bothers me more is that the story is so fragmented. You know, I actually well, there's a lot of characters, but yeah, I actually yeah. didn't feel it was that fragmented. I thought it was heavy. It was heavy. It's busy. There's a lot of there's there's uh, plot points that aren't necessarily started in this book, that are either getting affected or wrapping up. There's new plot points that are opening up. Um, yeah. But I think the core story does a really good job at carrying all of these plot points through to the point where like. Even though they feel like they're getting dropped, it doesn't feel like this massive oversight. Well, let me let me tell you what I mean when I say that it's fragmented. Okay. The X-Men event that I compare this to the most is Inferno, which is one of my favorite X-Events. I really like it. Inferno runs through X-Men, X-Factor, uh, Excalibur, and New Mutants. And I think there's another series in there as well. It was like a series that was created for Inferno or spun out of Inferno and had main events and then continued on for a bit. And I don't remember what that one was called. But anyway, like, for the most part, if you read the X-Factor story, you had X-Factor's involvement in Inferno. And every now and again, these stories did dovetail and they touched each other. uh, But, like... The X-Factor subplot was different than the X-Men subplot, which was different from the New Mutants subplot, and they only just kind of touched on each other where it was relevant. Whereas in these books, you can't just be reading the X-Men story to understand what's going on with the X-Men, because the X-Men's plot continues in New X-Men and in X-Factor. And so, like, the individual stories, it's not just that you have to read all of it to understand what's going on. You have to read all of it in a specific order, which to me, it makes it... And so you would have things like you would get one page of future dupe Jamie Madrox's story, and then you get one page of Cyclops and Professor X, and then you get one page of the new X-Men, and then you get one page of Wolverine, and, like, these issues are only 22 pages long. So... The like as an individual unit of story, the issues are a bit confusing. This is not an issue if you read it in the trade, which is where I read it the first time. Right. Yeah. And so, but it does kind of like stand out to me now that I have more experience with X Men storylines and X Men plots that really this should have been, or I feel like it should have been, like the individual threads should have been much more self contained. And we still have that overlap, and so you still get a lot of benefit from reading all of the different stories. But as it was, I felt like that messed with the pacing a little bit more than I wanted it to. I wanted to see these scenes develop in more detail before we moved on to the other the other story. Around. You know, I didn't feel that as much, and it's probably because I'm so used to, or maybe I'm, I've just uh, like made peace with the fact that that's just kind of how event comics feel now, for the most part nowadays. Well, it's not even a, just event comics. 
But I'm also thinking, like, this is the way Netflix works. <laughs> like, a Netflix series, one episode of a Netflix series has, like, five different subplots going, and you'll touch on each of them. And it, you don't have a really solid beginning, middle, and end in each episode. I started watching the Dark Crystal series over the weekend, and that was my impression of it. There, it's pretty good so far, but there are so many subplots going on. That's why it's hard for me to say, like, if someone's watching Stranger Things, I don't want to say, what episode are you on? Oh, did this happen yet? Because I forget, because the stories run run into each other and over each other, and, like, you know, it's not like... We, we started at point A, we ended at point B at the end of the episode. It's like, we worked a little bit towards these characters' story and a little bit at these, and so it, it would ruin things where, yeah, yeah. You know what solves that issue? It's not watching Netflix stuff. <laughs> what, okay, hold on. Is that on. an Did option? Did you say that again? I don't think what, that's a thing. What is that? Are you speaking Spanish? Because <laughs> I'm on Duolingo, but I haven't gotten that far yet. <laughs> I don't watch Netflix stuff. Is this like a... Is this like... But... But what about, like, Daredevil or Umbrella Academy? Well, what about Daredevil? <laughs> I mean, the Electra stuff was not as great in the middle, but, like, season three, I think, brought it back. That, that Bullseye stuff was excellent. Sure. Um, <laughs> let's keep talking about Messiah Complex. Yes, let's talk about Messiah Complex, what we like so, and agree you know, on. You know, as, much as, and as, as much as I complain about the art kind of switching every issue, which is fair considering what what sort of does. comic yep. this is. Um, I thought for the most part it was really solid, but every time we were on a Bachalo or Ramos book, it was good stuff. It was not that the whole book was bad, but like it was better. If everything else yeah. was an eight, this is 9.5 territory. Yeah. I really yeah. like Ramos's art. And Bachalo's. No, my, my, yeah. My favorite, my favorite Ramos art is in this. Well, this book and, and the runaways, but like, Dang, I love the way he draws Surge in the X-Men. I love the way he draws Wolverine. I love yeah. the way he draws Cable. You know, I, I gotta say, like, the only time I ever had a complaint with this is actually in the very first book. I want to say it's the very first book. Um, when Cerebra, like, blows a fuse. Yeah. And then you have... Um, oh, Beast's face. Beast's face. I guffawed. I hate Beast's face. I guffawed so hard. He's like, oh. <laughs> it's a it's a bad angle in all three of these panels. They're not. They're just, oh. <laughs> I don't like Cat Beast. I don't like... Uh, I don't care what you have to say about Grant Morrison, Stephen. I don't like Cat Beast. Not like We're going to have to read Grant Morrison one of these days. I know. Gotta, you made me read... Uh, Fire Phoenix Force, whatever that's called. The, the Dark Phoenix, Phoenix sure. Saga. Sure. The Dark Phoenix. Oh, <laughs> you mean that book that's like where spitting on the, the Bible. That, this is like that's Old Testament. This is New Testament. Yeah, and the New Te- <laughs> and the New Testament has Revelation. So which one is cooler? Well, I, I like New Testament better. But is this a competition? Yeah. Are we are we pitting the Word of God against? It? Is that our next podcast? Do we do we rank the chapters of the Bible? No, I I will not read any of it. <laughs> Dude, I complain. I complain about Brian Michael Bendis. You don't want to hear me complain about God. Yeah. <laughs> I get that you're God, but like, take it down a notch, please. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to use so many words, <laughs> my lord? You couldn't just say I smite thee. <laughs> you know, Are you there, on. God? It's me, Aldo, and I find you a bit wordy. <laughs> oh, you cut it, cut down Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen. Come on. 
That's not really the verse. I don't That's care. The thing. <laughs> no, what he says is much cooler, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what else is oh. really cool here is how uh, it's X23. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if um, you guys can explain if you guys have done the reading, but you notice in the uh, new X-Men comic that um, um, is drawn so well by Umberto Ramos, all of the new X-Men have these like weird gauntlets. Like X-23 has them too. And I know that like Surge, her powers, it was like a containment unit built by Forge where she can kind of control like, because she's like, she yeah. can control electricity and like sometimes it's too much for her. And so she needs to, like, let it out in small doses kind of thing. But, like, all the rest of the team have them, too. Is that... Do you guys know anything about that? Is that just a style Is that just a style thing? Is that, like, the tw- 21st century um, shoulder pads? No, I think I think that was probably just, a, like, a like a small phase for Bachalo. Uh, but I don't know that he necessarily did those redesigns. Oh, for Ramos, for Ramos, my Ramos. I, f- oh, I forget who the artist was. The back then. the, the oh, thing man. I did find a little, like funny, is how everybody gets uh, a lot bustier when Ramos is uh, is on the scene. Well, yeah, that's that's definitely true, um, except for one exception. Like when we were listing off the characters that we liked that Ramos drew, I love the way he draws Layla Miller because Layla Mir- Miller is supposed to be a kid. And she and totally Ramos is, is the kid. only one who draws her like a kid. Okay, okay. Can we can we talk about Layla? That's okay. Yeah, let's. let's so so to but... give you so to give you the background on what I know about Layla is nothing. Dang it! So, <laughs> Layla was in House of M. Uh huh. So we've encountered Layla Miller before. Sure. She was in House of M when Wolverine. Hold on. Have we actually read House of M for the podcast? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we did. Okay. So when Wolverine wakes up in the other world... Oh, yeah, I remember because I whined about how Spider-Man was so out of character the whole time. Um, (laughs) When Wolverine wakes up in this other timeline, he finds Layla Miller, and she has sort of this mutant power to restore people's memories of the other timeline. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Then when she appears in mainstream Marvel continuity, she has a different set of powers. She Her powers are now, quote, I know stuff. And it's, it's really weird, like... She shows up in X Factor and she starts palling around with with Jamie Madrox, and some of it is like she has this sort of like vision or prophecy or something that she's going to marry Jamie Madrox, which is super creepy because you know she's a child and he is not that. Yeah, and so her powers once she leaves the the House of M storyline and pops up in in marvel 616 continuity i don't know what her deal is it's so ill-defined that i don't really have anything to to latch on to there she is uh, her powers are being a plot device okay so so i just i just googled this up so she knows stuff not because she that's like her power but because herself from the future visited herself as a child and gave her all of her memories and knowledge but it was too much for her to cancel, to to not cancel. It was too much for her to like channel and accept that now she has gaps in her memory and knowledge. But I she just thought it was like stuff. a psychic thing that like if there was a secret, she just knew it. Nope, it was presented as a form of precognition, but it's not. Ah. If you got a secret, yo, I know it. Check out the future <laughs> while I die in it. That's so Raven. In the future, Layla, she can see. That's so Layla. 
<laughs> Tell uh, me, I have never watched that show because I can't. I, every time I t- like would flip the channel by it, she was chewing gum at the speed of light. Is there the a show. reason? Is there a reason why she's chewing gum that obnoxiously? Do you need a reason to chew gum? Because she's yes. Raven Simone. That's that. That's how she do. And I didn't think that I had a problem with Raven and Simone, but it was disgusting to watch her just like chomp on gum at like that. And that was the whole, I was like, so she sees the future, but mostly what I see her doing is chewing gum and looking all concerned and worried about something. That's obnoxious. I mean, I feel like you just described the first half of every episode. Ah! (laughs) I'm never going to watch it. So I got to say one more thing about Layla Miller before we move on from Layla Miller. And it's that I really don't like Layla Miller. (laughs) I, yeah, I, I nothing her. Yeah. I don't like her. She, she, I, I feel the same antipathy towards her that John apparently feels towards Raven Simone. I'm just, I just, I don't, I don't wish her any will, ill will. I just don't want to be around her. Okay. Oh, so, so here's, stuff. here's another thing about the story that maybe I picked up on this weird, or maybe I just missed something. But did Maddox go in a coma because his clones were sent into the future and like something? Yeah. Okay. It was, I don't know if it was too much to handle. Um, it, he also freaked out because he was like, wait, how are they going to get back? And Forge said, oh, uh, it's a one-way trip. And they know that. They'll they'll know that mentally. And they'll kill themselves. And the knowledge will be reabsorbed into you as if, you know, you reabsorbed your duplicates. And he was like, oh, would you what? And then got knocked out. Okay. And I think that there is a follow-up story about what happens to his other duplicate. But we don't see that here. Yeah. So. I was going to say there has to be because it isn't here. But yeah. yeah, that is part of Jamie Madrox's power set. Like, yeah. When yeah. he hits himself... He creates a duplicate. If the duplicate dies, their memories come back to him. Yeah, it's like a Naruto shadow clone. <laughs> or <I guess. laughs> Dr. McNinja and all of his clones gaining all the different expertise. Yeah. A fi- a finally, a, a good answer for how Batman is an expert in everything, because Dr. McNinja, he just simply cloned himself under the tutelage of Benjamin Franklin's clone, and everyone learned different things, and they all came back to be reassimilated, so he's an expert in many different fields, except for farming, because old McNinja, the farmer... Yes, old McNinja. He uh, missed the deadline and um, did not get reassembled. farming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just in I case like... you guys gave a crap about old McNinja. You lost me at Dr. Dr. McNinja. McNinja. <laughs> it's McNinja so good. good. It's so it good. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Anyway. <laughs> X-Men. I really like, X-Men. So I really like Jamie Madrox conceptually, and I like the idea of X-Factor investigations. I don't think this story really does anything with the investigations part of X-Factor no. investigations, but it does bring in a lot of the X-Factor characters that I really like. Siren's in it, and she gets a moment to, like, mourn over Jamie, who's in the coma. Richter gets more to do, and that stuff's actually pretty cool. Would you? Wolfsbane is in this as bait. I don't remember if Wolfsbane is part of X-Factor investigations. You know, I think I'm, I'm mixing up New Mutants and X-Factor, sorry. Would you? Well, no, like, the, there's bleed-through. Wolfsbane started with the New Mutants, Eventually, I think she went to X Factor, and I don't know if she was still with X Factor at this point in their history or not. Would you say the investigation did an X Factor into the story? Oh, jeez. How long have you been waiting to try to squeeze we're, that in we're there? We're better than this. Uh, the moment you said that he was an investigation. <laughs> uh, ah, hate it all, though. No, I'm not sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The, the, I don't know, the, the fights were cool. I think, you know, so <laughs> yeah. here's the thing. Here's the thing. And this is probably why I think this is the best X-Men book I've read. Um, I think there's a lot going on. 
there's a lot of relationship stuff going on. Uh, not as much as some of the other books, which is, can be a little disappointing. Like, I really like that, this whole thing between Xavier and uh, Scott. Do you know what he did? Do you know what Xavier did? Uh, apart from just be Xavier, no, not really. Oh, no, that was it. No, I mean, like, no, he, he, there was a third Summers brother that he kept secret. Oh, yeah, he threw him in space or something. Yeah, yeah. and, like, had, there was a whole other team out there that he was just, like, lying about, and then finally Cyclops is like, screw you, man, and, like, becomes the leader. And, like, we see more of that in the Second Coming story arc, which is, like, a, a you know, direct sequel. We'll, we'll get to it in a couple of months whenever you guys, like, feel up for another X-Men story, but it's yeah. it's even more so, because I think Xavier is, like, actually gone for real by that point because you know nobody dies in comics and i think that if i were ever to write comics i would be like okay the only rule for this book is that everyone stays dead who dies because it's just like yeah yeah people yeah yeah. and and on top of that i think the other thing i like about this book uh, is and and i know steven you said you didn't like it because it throws the pacing off but i actually like especially as a as a as a read-through experience not individually just as a single as a singular story I actually kind of like how quickly it's it's snapping between storylines. Could it be done a little better? I think it could. But I think with what we got here, I actually quite like it. Especially considering how you have to deal with so many creative minds. There are some great creators involved in these yeah. books. And I think and I think there's just a lot of things that are going on. Like like I think for me the not the biggest, but one of the better payoffs in the book was this whole story, like, sub-story with the Predator X. Because as as it's going on, you're just like, what? why does this even matter at all? Like, why Why is this important? Why does this have to be happening on yeah. top of everything? And then at the end, it, there's a there's a good little payoff for it where they teleport it to the island, and you're like, oh, neat. Yep. Yeah. It's going to turn yeah. the tide of the battle. Yep. Which it does. Um, the cool thing for me, like you mentioned Cyclops and Professor X, I've got like, this reminds me a little bit of, of the Dark Phoenix saga because you had Cyclops and Charles kind of butting heads there, but there it was more, Charles had been away from the team for a while. He came back expecting things to just fall into the same dynamic that was there before and they didn't. And he gave Wolverine demerits like he was a kid. Yeah. (laughs) And then Scott comes in and he's like, now, Professor, la, 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 la. Like, I like the the Scott that can kind of take charge and act, like, autonomously apart from Professor X. And we get a, we get a lot of that here. So you're the Emma Frost in the group. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about how I was recording in my underwear last week. and uh... Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. I just, I actually, I actually, you know, I said that as a joke, but actually, I think that's kind of one of the lines I like a little bit. Like, it's, it sticks out to me, not because it's particularly good, but because it, it gave me a good little chuckle when she tells him, she's like, I like this. It suits you. Yeah. And you just, it's true. You just feel the thirst. <laughs> Partly because she's all but saying, I'm thirsty. The only reason she's not saying it is because that slang hadn't really been coined yet. <laughs> but, like, And the thing that frustrates me about this story, it's kind of the same thing that frustrates me about Dark Phoenix Saga, is that at the end, even though there's this huge subplot in the book where Professor X is wrong, he's still right. Yeah. Like, Cyclops' actions aren't really what saved the day here. It's Cable reaching out to Professor X, and then Professor X basically, like, he doesn't really convince Cyclops to hand the baby over to Cable at the end, but he kind of does. 
you know, I think it said he sets up the look, like it reminds him of you know what needs to be done, but Cyclops still has to make that decision. I feel like that whole thing would have been stronger if Cyclops had just come to that without Professor X being there. You know, actually, thanks for reminding me because that was one of the complaints I had with the with the book. Was you get a lot of really there's all this build up and like all this this whole thing with with uh, you know you reveal that it's Cable and then you reveal that you know he sold the baby. And then you reveal that uh, Bishop is like hunting him. Like you, you're kind of doing these really pretty decently well done reveals. Yeah. Um, but then at the end, the big like kind of showdown. Like Cable doesn't really explain anything to Scott. Like not like nothing really gets explained to Scott who has to make this decision. And yet he still makes this decision. Like as far as Scott knows, or you know maybe I missed something. But as far as Scott knows. Cable still stole this baby and murdered other children. <laughs> I think what this shows, and I actually think this works pretty well within the context of the story, but I'm not sure how much it works if you aren't familiar with the Cyclops and Cable history. Like, and I, like, there are lots of elements of this that I don't quite get. There are flashbacks in the final issue to uh, Cyclops's time with the baby cable and so like it's that history with with cable where cyclops had to basically trust that this woman who showed up in the from the future and said i need your child and if you send him with me you will probably never be a good like you'll never have that parent child relationship that you want to have that sort of trust that Cyclops had to have in that moment is echoed here. And that's the reason he makes the decision. So it's very much a character-driven decision and not one that's driven by the logical events of the plot, which is both, I think, a strength and a weakness. It's a strength in the sense that if you are following the X-Men stories and have been for a while, this is good payoff. But it's a weakness of that you're not super familiar with the X-Men. Like me. Then you're just lost. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I think, you know, in my experience, that's probably a weakness. That kind of just, to me, it didn't even feel, like, proper. To me, it almost felt rushed. Like, they're just like, well, we're on the last issue. Screw it. They just haven't made this decision. Yeah. Um, it, again, I think it does make sense taking the long view on the character right. and his relationship with Cable. But if you don't have that background, I agree. It feels very rushed. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to... I'm just going back to <clears throat> Cable's history... Was... Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Cyclops is his dad, and then Madeline Pryor, who is a clone of Jean Grey. Yeah. But um, yeah, he's from a possible uh, future timeline, having been transported as an infant to the future, where he grew into a warrior before returning to the present. So um, specifically to combat Apocalypse, I believe. That, I don't know, that, well, that's that Nate might... Grey, who is X Men. No, I... a... Who is the Age of Apocalypse alternate version of Cable? It says he's a half brother of him. On this summer, yeah. Well, oh it's all, it's like, there's so many crazy retcons and time, X-Men, you have to know going in with X-Men that there's going to be time travel. There's going to be crazy time travel, and there's always a constant threat of the future where mutants are hunted down. And this plays into the follow-up books to this um, a lot, that they are trying to, you know, protect a world that hate and fear, hates and fears them. And also, there's this threat of... Um, a future where they're exterminated 
and you know sentinels are out to get them they speak a little bit of this uh, about destiny's journals destiny was a mutant who could see the future and um it was used a lot in previous books where she would you know write down things that were going to happen and she was basically mystique's wife too right. by the way right and so mystique is, is still going off of that playbook which is why she acted the way that she did towards rogue here uh, misunderstanding what was going on and then later we do see um, Rogue and Hope's relationship, and kind of where that goes um, as they become, you know, bigger players in the story later on. I do not like in storytelling, in movies, and books, and TV, the idea of like the chosen one, you know. Um, and this is kind of, I mean, this—that's what this is basically. But without dealing with who that is or knowing exactly what they're going to do, but just knowing that this this baby is special somehow, and we still don't know at the end of the story, why. Um, this, I think, is the exception to that rule. You know, it just, it's so easy to get burned out on, you know, like, ah, oh, it's Harry Potter. He is the chosen one. You know, it's just like, I, I you know, I don't know. It just seems like it's too easy and, it, and it's, it's, there needs to be more, more in the story than just, you know, what we're already familiar with, with that type of story. Um, but this is dealing with, you know, everyone else, who was affected by what this child could mean. You know, Sinister is trying to create the perfect mutant and would probably raise this child and alter them in such a way where they'd be an unstoppable force somehow. Uh, the X-Men are just trying to, you know, fight for what's good and what's right. And, and one of those things is protecting an innocent little baby. Um, Cable is tasked with, with protecting this child and... Um, I mean, I think you're giving him a little too much credit because I don't think they'd go this far to protect a baby. This is... It's the baby messiah. Does it say... <laughs> does it ever say um, how Cable found out? Not in now this I book. Gotta, now I gotta check. No, not, no, not, in, not this in this book. book it doesn't. Okay, no. okay. But we get that in the Cable solo series that came out right after this. Yeah. Which... The, the thing that I like the most about this story is it sets up a story that I'm really interested in reading, and I never have. Is it? I I knew you would be interested in that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, what are we talking about? We're talking about a cranky old man who has to take care of a little baby? Yeah. 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 Hey, guess what? It's my jam. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just flip past speak like the art being hit and miss. I just flip past a page where they made Professor Xavier look exactly like Patrick Stewart, and it's like yes, oh my gosh, that yes, was so he is, but like, but like, don't you, you know he is, and I love that he is, but like, don't make him look exactly. Like, yeah, it was it was not good. But. It was a bit yeah. distracting. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the things I was going to ask you guys because there's so many conflicts that we see in this in this book, right? There's a lot of fights, and I mm-hmm. think pretty you know standard use of powers here i don't think there's anything super creative um was there any fights that like particularly stood out to you that you were like kind of excited for Uh, i liked the new x-men kind of testing themselves and like things are okay at first but then oh crap it's death strike and like we're we are so hosed and uh they barely get out of there alive and they're all beat up um the the way that Cable handles the situation with the, with the purifiers and the X Men playing them against each other so he can get away because he's on foot they, they track him down in Alberta Canada where he just I assume just ran from Alaska and got that far before they caught up to him and he gets the Blackbird and gets away and you know tries to get to uh, Forge and then Bishop catches up with him so 
I don't know. I liked uh, anytime we got a big splash page with a lot of bad guys and a lot of good guys. That was fun to see and um, interesting to see how like you know the different powers were used against each other because you know the, like I said it was like sixteen on five six with Emma Frost and the X Men still held their own because they're just they're just the best. Um, you know what all the fights in this book reminded me of, and I'm just I'm just realizing this now. What? So, you've got the X-Men, and they're fighting the Purifiers, and then they move on, and they fight the Marauders, and then they fight the Acolytes, and then they fight the Reavers, and Lady Deathstrike, and then they fight the Marauders again, and then Predator X shows up. It's, this, it reminds me of Hush. Oh. Batman Hush, where Batman fights Killer Croc, and then Poison Ivy, and then the Scarecrow shows up, and Clayface shows up, and the Joker shows up. And it is kind of a greatest hits of like you know if Magneto wasn't dead at the moment then he probably would have shown up somehow too. Um, yeah, that's the one is, that yeah. they're missing. Yeah, and un- unfortunately, that's not a compliment. <laughs> I think it makes sense, and I think it makes sense in the story though. I don't think it's like trotted out like a greatest hits package like Hush Hush is. This yeah, is it doesn't feel like fan service. I mean, it feels a little bit like fan service, but it also feels like logical, right? Like. Just like throwing throwing all of them in one one big page, sure, that's fan service. But like, also, it's it's fun, it's cool, it's a good way to like, you know, show off all of the the you know the talented artists and all these cool characters that we have, you know, in one place at one time. I I think it also helps uh, push the fact that this baby's important, kind of like how John was saying, right? Like, we don't know why the baby's important or like what it does or anything like that. We just know that it is, and having all of these big groups, like everybody, kind of rushing to get this baby. I think adds to that. Yeah. yeah. But I do agree with you. It, it, it does feel a little... It feels a little gimmicky, frankly. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean that, that's fair. I don't, think, I don't think that's, like... I don't think it's a gimmick, though. I think it fits with, like, what the actions would be of all these groups in this situation. And it's not like... I don't know. It's not like it's, you know, Cannonball Run or something where it's like, Yeehaw! We all gotta go get that baby! It's like... It's like <laughs> I, I mean, that's kind of what it was, though. <laughs> It kind of is. <laughs> I mean, I, th- yeah. I mean, I, I mean. Here's the thing, and I'm in the middle because I do agree. It does feel gimmicky, like, you know, let's get all these kind of, especially because if you've been reading X Men up to this point, you know, it seems like these are all pretty fairly. They've all been pretty fairly recently, starring in these in these books, right, with these characters. Um, so it does feel like right at the end of this, it's like, here, now you get everybody. Um, so it does feel a little gimmicky, but at least for me, as an outsider who's kind of just, this is the only book I've read in this big old arc, um, to me, it kind of helps illustrate the importance of this baby. It really does. I don't know. And it's not like they had, like, Juggernaut or um, yeah. Sauron or, you know. Sure. Lord of the Rings. And he, uh, they have some really no the bird dude the big the big dinosaur. No, the eagle's different. Oh, for crying out loud! <laughs> That's not. You sad. know he's a big pterodactyl dude. You I, know he I is. I actually do not. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, <laughs> Sauron is a, is a dinosaur. Sauron is a nice people. Yes, sure. He's he's in the Savage Land and he's an X Men bad guy. Okay. Uh, it, he's also the same name as see. I see where. You, oh, right. Right, I see where you're getting. Okay. <laughs> Stupid old. 
doesn't know it's X-Men bad guys. I think if it had like crazy, like colorful, like, you know, uh, bad guys from, you know, the 60s and 70s or something, that'd be one thing. If they're like, Krakoa's back, ah, (laughs) you know, that'd be one thing, but. Yeah, um, and that's fair. Like, I, I felt like there were so many set pieces here that it was it was daunting. I, I don't want to make this sound like too much of a negative because this is what X-Men events are like. They, they bring in all of these characters. They bring in all of these action pieces. They've got this recurring cast of villains. And, the you know, we tend, when we think of X-Men villains, to focus on Magneto and Apocalypse and just, like, those big names. But they also have just so much cannon fodder yeah. Yeah. that they fight against. Like, and I was picking out characters like, oh, I recognize that character from Fatal Attractions. I recognize that character from some random X-Force comic that I had when I was a kid. I recognize that character from the trading cards. It's like, okay, yeah, there's there's this huge world, and it makes it feel like it's more lived in. Like, I, I, it's not a compliment when I compare it to Hush, but this is definitely better executed than, I think, the, the cameo parade in Hush is. I, I think, for me, one of the things that stands out is they also try to do as decent an introduction to each of these groups because even though I didn't know who like half the groups were um, I still kind of had a pretty clear idea on on who was on what team and all this stuff like for me that's somebody who's way non involved with the X-Men this was a pretty clear read like I I really wasn't all that confused through the whole thing I, I had a really good idea of what each team was a little bit of their motivations um, I was given just enough backstory on the individual characters and, and arcs that were kind of going into this. Like, when the New Mutants decide to go fight the the religious group, um, it didn't... Yeah, the purifiers. The, the purifiers. It didn't feel like it came out of nowhere. Like, they gave me just enough context to be like, oh, I see why they have a grudge. Um, so, so at least for me in that sense, I, I think it, this did a really good job. And, and to me, it didn't feel super gimmicky. Though, like, once you mentioned it, yeah, it does feel a little gimmicky. But at least at the moment, as a first-time reader, it was it was well done, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's gimmicky. I think you could you could see, like, I think you make a good point. You could see it that way. I, I just personally don't see it that way. Um, yeah. Whether... Yeah, and I haven't read in my trade. I do have like notes from their their story summit and everything. Um, this this might just be more like a summary, but um, you know, it has like some alternate covers, that kind of thing. It's pretty cool. But so you guys didn't read this on the app, did you? Yes, I did. Okay, I I did not. So no, did you yeah. did you read the the little interview thing at the end of one of the chapters where they asked which date which character each of the writers would date? Oh my gosh. No, because just the concept made me uncomfortable. So, so I skipped past it like the first time, and then I was like, screw it, now I'm curious. And there's a, there's a thing, I forgot which writer it was, I want to say it was Straczynski. He's like, he's like, did Bentus say he would date Luke Cage? Because if he doesn't, he's lying. And then it's Luke Cage, and then it's Michael uh, Brian Michael Bentus answering, he's like, definitely Luke Cage. <laughs> except, except maybe, is this going to the publication? Uh... Maybe Kitty Pride. <laughs> <Jeez. laughs> Anyways. Kitty Pride wasn't in this, was she? Is she no. dead? Is this while she's in a bullet in space? That comes that comes later. I don't know Are if you that's sure later? Well, I know that she features in the third part of this of this particular story, and she's 
like trapped like they have her in this like little booth where she's not able to solidify but she's there but she's not and it's yeah it's this whole thing so she's off probably doing whatever gets her in 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 that kind of pickle for the third part of the story right now i don't know that's then there's like there's a few other anyone who you missed out on in this story um is is back in the in the second and third part don't worry um it's great but we're not talking about those yet um I anything else we want to say about this? I just really enjoyed this story, and I think that we. Who is your? That's a good. That's a question I wanted to ask you guys. Who is? Uh, who is your favorite character throughout all of this? Geez, for me it was easily Cyclops. Yeah. Like between this and Dark Phoenix Saga, it, it reminds me like, oh yeah, people actually like Cyclops, and this is why they like Cyclops. And I don't, but in this story, and particularly in Second Coming, I really like Cyclops. Like it's like, yes, this is where how he should be used. Like he's he's the leader, and this is why. And yeah, Aldo, what do you think? Uh, for me, I don't know when when it's a bunch of people like this, I tend to default to Wolverine. Um, but actually, so so do the artists and writers. Yeah, apparently, because man, he's like, there's not a bad panel of him, is there? But but actually, for me, the kind of the standout character in all this was uh, Search. I liked her. I like her. Arc. I like her. I like her a lot. She has a. I don't know a thing about this character. I don't know either. But I got anything I, I could want from this book about her. Like, I I'd recommend going back and reading New X Men, not Grant Morrison's New X Men, another New X Men book with the same name and they should have come up with something different, but it's in the events leading up to House of M, there's like a new team and there's a bunch of them and Emma Frost kind of pits them against each other and Surge becomes a leader after being a mutant that they found on the street stealing from people, unable to control her powers. Um, she has um the ability to control electricity, but like the way that it manifests is that she can take that energy and make herself go super fast. And the first couple of issues with her, she talks super fast because she can't control anything, and she's just like, ah, I don't know what to do. Help me, help me, help me. Yeah. So, a uh, really interesting character. I like her a lot, and I'd like to see more of her. And that's that's another one where I'm like, I'm, you know, find you know a cool artist to get a commission of her because that's um, a cool character design. Maybe it's the blue hair. I like blue hair. <laughs> you gotta so, have blue hair. Gotta have blue hair. <laughs> so. Uh, but not blue cat hair, friggin' beast. Um, <laughs> I I like Cable. I you know one man against the whole world. I like that. Um, I we don't like get a whole lot of him like talking in this. We get more in in the later stories, but um, just a lot of cool moments with him that I really liked. So. Well, do we have any other comments on this book? Because I think we're getting to the point where we can just rank it. I think we should just rank it. <laughs> we should. Okay, so we currently have. 66 stories on our list. Number one is G. Willow Wilson and Adrian Alfona's No Normal, the debut of Ms. Marvel. Hooray! And then number 66 is Kevin Smith and the Dodsons, Spider-Man, The Evil That Men Do. I feel like at some point we need to stop announcing that like the top and the bottom one and just announce something like in the top five or the bottom five because like those don't change all that often. It's true. Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> or, or just announce two random titles. <laughs> I still feel like there's a good... Oh, yeah. On our list, number 22 is the Joss Whedon <laughs> gifted miniseries from the beginning. And number 41 is Heroes for Hire taking it to the streets. Karnak is number 17. Woohoo, top 20. <laughs> 
But still, yeah. a horrible, horrible miscarriage of justice. Hawkeye, My Life as a Weapon, Little Hits, and the tape. Number four, number seven. Not number one and number one. Oh, man, you want to hear about a miscarriage of justice? Whoa. <laughs> guess where Guess where I want to put this. Number two. Uh, you're, you're aiming for, like, under 20, aren't you? I don't know. <laughs> boy, oh, boy. I hope you brought your salesman kit with you and you have practiced your little spiel because uh, it is a top 10 book for me. Oh, so. no. I want to play all that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Here's, like... Better than Marvels. It's better than Marvels. Uh, mm, uh, mm. Where would you? Uh, l- I'm sorry. Let's start over. Steven, where would you like to put this? What number? I'm hovering somewhere around Karnak, actually. Oh, okay. Like you're 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 about the same range I'm in. Yeah, I I I'm sorry. Like the first point of comparison that you have to go to is the Dark Phoenix Saga. Sure. I, I Dark Phoenix Saga is better. I oh, I don't think it is. I don't enjoy it as much. Number twelve, though, dude. Yeah, I know. I, I didn't put it there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so like, and this is where I was going. It's like, okay, it, it's it's not. I don't like it better than Parable. Definitely don't like it better than Parable. Um, I don't like it better than anything Hawkeye. Um, it's not better than the Coming of Galactus. I, I really do prefer the Dark Phoenix Saga to this. Um, Beta Ray Bill, I like a little bit better. Yeah, it's really once we get to Karnak and what if magic became the Sorcerer Supreme that I'm like, okay, no, hold on. This is definitely doing more than either of those books and it's doing it well enough that I don't want to go any lower than that. But you're going to have to sell me on it going higher. I actually wanted to put it right above Dark Phoenix. Um, But that's also because I think the story is a lot more consistent. It's a lot more focused. Um, And maybe it's 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 a thing about time. But I think it's, I like I prefer the art style for it. Uh, and while I think The Last Days of Magic is better than this book, I think this book is better than Dark Phoenix. I, <laughs> I think I think it just has a better cast. I think the only thing Dark Phoenix has better than this book is it deals a lot more with the relationships, and it's a little bit more explicit in that sense then this book is about, you know, whose relationships affect what. Um, well, I also think it has a more meaningful death because Jean Grey dying is much more impactful than Professor X dying. Yeah. Because Professor X comes back just in time to die in the next big event. But in 2019, does that even matter? <laughs> uh, when both of them are back right now, I think. Well, hold on. Is Professor X back? I think he is. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> X deaths are meaningless. Um, no, no, that's fair though. I don't, I don't want to like, like take that away because that is a valid point. But uh, I don't know. I just, I, I think this book is also more fun. I, um, John, John, where, where did you want to put this? Did you want to put this like above Marvel? Number two. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> you think this is better than Spider Man? You think this is better than Secret Wars? I like it better. Whether it is better or not is... Uh, I'm sorry, hold um, on. You think this is better than Parable? <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be objective. I'm going to be objective. <laughs> um, <sighs> Parable is dang good. Where is Parable? Number five? five? It's number five. 
because it's dang good. I want to reread Parable now. We've just name dropped it a couple times, yeah. and all I want to do is read it. It's my. I mean, it's. I. I told. I, I say it every time. It's my like that Silver Surfer. That great, great. Well, there's a great full page shot of him as my background on my iPad where I read my comics now. I'm a little. So, I'm a little uh, disgusted. We have. Not, nothing against Hawkeye, but I'm a little disgusted. We have Hawkeye above Silver Surfer Parable. Hey man, hey man. <laughs> look, let's not say things we can't take back. <laughs> I would say okay. I mean, Hawkeye's really good. It's so good. I would say, as a story, maybe it's not as good as some of the ones in the top ten. I would put it above Dark Phoenix and below Coming of Galactus, recognizing the importance historically of the Coming of Galactus and the other books above it. <laughs> Definitely social impact of Ms. Marvel cannot be overstated. Very important. But I will concede that while it may not be top ten material, because it's not as good of a standalone story as some of the other... Whatever. Put it above Dark Phoenix. My vote's number 12. I... That's that's where I'm at. The council has spoken, Stephen. <laughs> I'm super unhappy about this, but you know what? I can't get my way every time. As long as... Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Say it. If, if it's going at number 12... I, I can be okay with it. Um, but yeah, we cannot put it above the coming of a Galactus. We just, we can't do it. Fine. Okay. Go ahead to number 12. This actually hurt me a little bit. Oh my gosh, John, well done. I need you to, me. well, but like, I, I wonder if I should have like been a better politician about this and settled for a lower ranking for it so that the other one's second coming can be higher. But I'm confident that second coming will speak for itself because it is a tighter story. It's a better event. I don't know how much it's spread across other other books or whatever. Um, we shall see. We shall see. You'll all see. <laughs> then oh, you'll be called then down. You'll be sorry. <laughs> well, on that note, what are we reading next time, Stephen? <laughs> so for our next episode, we are going to tackle another couple of characters that we haven't had a whole lot of experience with yet. One of them is. Craven, man, I've been craving a good story. Yeah, it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know. <laughs> so, in order to get a good experience with Craven, the Last Hunter, I guess we have to read another Spider-Man story. Oh, geez, I didn't even take into that into consideration. I was just like, yeah, Craven, sure. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we done did it again. If I'd have known we were gonna cave for a Spider-Man story, I would have suggested Spider Island. <laughs> I hey, I like Spider Island. It, I haven't read it. I'm really curious yeah. About it. I I jumped back into comics. Like was like order like like had a hold at a comic book store, uh, and that was where. And then I was like, oh geez, Spider Man is a bi monthly book. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot of comics. Eventually, so. eventually we'll get to Spider Island. Yeah, it can wait. There's a lot of like spider history you have to get through before you can get all of what Spider Island's about. Oh really? Like, but like it's okay to jump into any X Men book. Hey, you shut your dumb face. <laughs> no, it's just, it's so, it's so hard to get into all of the X-Men history that you just have to, like, ignore it and go ahead. You just have to close your eyes and think of England. Whoa. Okay. That's a... That was a left Did turn. I just get me too by the X-Men? Oh, jeez. No, hold on a second. <laughs> what do you think that line means, John? Oh, um, Jeez, okay. I know, ex I know, I know exactly what it means, but that was not what I um, intended the X Men to do to you. It was uh... <laughs> so for Craven, we are going to read <laughs> Craven's Last Hunt, which runs through the Amazing Spider Man, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider Man, 
and Web of Spider-Man. This is a miniseries or uh, an event from 1987. Uh, I've read it before. I haven't read it in years. I'm really looking forward to revisiting it. I'm excited to find out why Web of Spider-Man needed to be its own. Like, what's the difference between Web of Spider-Man and Amazing Spider-Man and Spectacular Spider-Man? And how, yeah, because... I don't think this is going to help you. Oh. Because this is basically (laughs) just an event like we read today. And I'll just look into that for my own curiosity. The other story that we're going to read is a Jessica Jones Marvel Digital Original Comic Series from 2018. It is a six-part story. It's collected in the app as actually three issues, and it is called Blind Spot. That'll be interesting. I, I have not actually read any of the solo Jessica Jones books before in my life, so I really liked the, the first season of the Netflix series, so I'm interested in, in seeing more about the character from the comics perspective. I read this in spite of the Netflix series. <laughs> uh, the first season was good. Hmm. I'm sorry, let me start over. I thought the first season was good. The first season of Jessica Jones is what got me to drop Netflix. Wow. <laughs> well. That's how much I did not like it. Yeah. <laughs> but what do you stri- what what do you what do you watch when you're looking at your phone? Do you talk to people? I, I read <laughs> comics. We all read Come on, Aldo. This is a com- we all read comics. <laughs> I best money I think I've spent on any sort of subscription service is the $2 a month for the V's manga. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Guess who's been reading the entirety of My Hero Academia? You. Um, oh. If it's not you, then this is a dumb story. Uh, me. <laughs> I am. I, ooh, how far are you, Steven? Uh, I am on chapter 164. That means nothing to me. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> they just rescued that little girl from the Yakuza. Ah, okay. Nice. Yeah, no, it's really good. Oh, I love that book so much. I've said it before, and I, I'm reinforcing this. Like my, I was saying this based solely on the anime. My Hero Academia is the single best piece of long-form superhero storytelling going on today. And the manga is better than the <gasps> anime. It's, I would even say it's better than Ultimate Spider-Man. <gasps> than Ultimate Spidey. Gasp! And Ultimate Spider-Man's not still going. Like, I mean, contemporarily running right no, now. No, no, and I, I, I mean, like, as a thing, like, as one of the oh, longest running, like, singular thing. Yeah, I think this is better than Ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. And that Ultimate Spider-Man run is probably one of my favorite things in the world. <laughs> it's very good. Oh, my goodness. It's very good. Yeah. The... If you can get past the the superhero names being not great, I think they're fine. I don't know. Maybe like maybe I need to have a better appreciation of Japanese wordplay, but you'll never convince me that Aravity is a good name. I mean, they're also it's not necessarily a thing about Japanese. Thing. It is in the sense that it's it's kind of how they assume like you would like uh, the American names happened. Yeah. You just need to put that on your Duolingo queue. Like, do that after Spanish. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love My Hero Academia. I am caught up. I wait every week. And every Sunday, I set aside ten minutes to read the la- the latest chapter. Aldo? Yes. Who's best girl? <sighs> it's Momo. Hmm. Okay. Like, You're one of those guys. I like... Well, she has, like, a really decent arc. It's... I wish it would get a little bit more attention, but her arc is probably one of my favorites. I haven't seen much of her arc, honestly. Uh, it happens in the background, and that's my complaint. It's because her stuff is that she's trying to earn her place, and she's trying to get better. 
because she got in on a recommendation, but she doesn't have any real experience. <laughs> is that the girl from Ipanema? That is the girl from Ipanema. Oh, hey. Hey, everybody. Is girl, is girl from Ipanema another anime series? I'll just tune out for a little while longer. Hold on. Uh, I will get around. I will get around to reading and watching My Hero Academia because I only hear good things about it. I only hear it. Just guys, Dragon Ball Z was my only like exposure, and somehow as a kid I was like, they're animating on twos and it looks bad. I just knew it before I knew what it was that oh, I didn't like about it. Dude, and, Japan animates on like threes and fours. <laughs> yeah. Uh no, you should watch My Hero Academia. You forget Dragon I Ball Z. Know. I know, I know. Although, speaking of things that are better in the manga than the anime, Dragon Ball is so much better in the comic form. Dragon Ball, I think, is and Dragon Ball Z. They're all they're they're all better eh. in comics. I'm not gonna say they're good, but they are definitely better. Eh. I think it also depends if you watch Kai or not. I know we've tried to do this before, but we really should have like a curated list of like here, John. There's none of that fruit baskets crap in this list. You look and you watch you watch you watch and read this manga and these anime and then and then you'll you'll like it. You'll get why it's good. You'll get why it's important. You'll get why people are obsessed. For listeners who don't know, uh, John Aldo and I were all on another podcast where we uh, st- tried to watch some anime and I made everybody watch fruits baskets. I hate you so much. Because Steven is a, is a masochist and a sadist and is just is just really happy when others... I also genuinely are... love Fruits Basket. How? Are you watching the remake? They're remaking it? I have not started watching... Ever since I've gotten married, I haven't been able to watch a whole lot of anime on my own. Because uh, my wife doesn't care. She's not <laughs> she doesn't like... She doesn't like how Aldo sits on the couch next to his waifu pillow. It's so... <laughs> Stephen having replaced the lady in his life. Um, <laughs> oh God! This is this is um, this is the point where uh, Stephen and I drifted, drifted apart. <laughs> <laughs> their what? Their pillows used to be best friends and hang out with each other. Uh, anyway, should we wrap up the podcast? I think we should wrap up the podcast. So this has been the Superhuman Registration Podcast. We had a good time talking about one story. And, oh gosh, you know what I just realized? What? Our, our next episode, we're going to rank our 69th story. Nice. Nice. <laughs> All right, good night, everybody. Good night.